Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the return of Red Blacks quarterback, Jeremiah Masoli. The Elks trading disgruntled linebacker Kevin Francis to Ottawa. A strong TV rigging for the Blue Bombers' win over the Montreal Alouettes. Ticats strong side linebacker Chris Edwards receiving a maximum fine from the CFL. And the Stampeders welcoming back receiver Markin Michelle after a four-year stint in the NFL. But first... The Argonauts outclassed the Lions in a battle of the undefeated teams in the CFL this past Monday, downing the Leos 45-24 at BMO Field. Vernon Adams Jr. was intercepted one, two, three, four, five, six times, half a dozen, while Chad Kelly threw for 249 yards and one touchdown with his uncle, Pro Football Hall of Fame QB Jim Kelly, in attendance, cheering him on. Did the game say more about B.C.? Or Toronto? I'm going to go with the BC Lions here, partly because I know Dunk is going to talk at length about Chad Kelly in a moment. But I think that this is a good test for the BC Lions. First of all, I do want to give credit to the Argos. They played fantastic. Corey Mace obviously had a great defensive game plan for that team. The The offense was flawless, at least in terms of not turning the ball over, something that the Lions did seven times. Uh, with most of those coming away with those picks. But to me, this was BC's first test at being the number one club in the league. They had a beat down at IG Field in week number four when they embarrassed, pardon me, week number three, when they embarrassed the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on home turf. We all know that it's a lot easier to climb the mountain than it is to stay at the top. The Lions were at the top of our power rankings. They were at the top of power rankings, I think, across you know, the league and the media and all the different outlets that do power rankings, rightfully so, after they played the Winnipeg Blue Bombers tough and hammered them. Well, their first their first time trying to defend that title was an abject failure. I do think that the game was probably closer than the score indicated, but this team had a big test and failed it. And to me, that is the game story. The BC Lions trying to establish themselves at the top dog of the CFL did not manage to sustain that. They could still be the best team in the league, but they they certainly didn't show it in Toronto. Let's be frank about this, guys. This game didn't say more about BC or more about Toronto. It said a lot about Vernon Adams Jr. And it's that he is not yet a perfect quarterback. We saw him come out this season, look much improved, look more consistent, look more polished than he's been in the past. And I think a lot of us, myself included, said this is a new VA, right? This is a guy who isn't going to make the big mistakes. Well, in this game, he made six huge errors. And, you know, I'm not the former quarterback here. I'm sure Dunk can, can speak to this more. But several of those interceptions were not defensible, right? 
those are mistakes he didn't have to make in situations. He didn't have to make those throws. And he made just the wrong reads and was tricked by the Toronto defense. I think, in fact, as impressive as the Argonauts were, and I do think that offense and Chad Kelly looked extremely efficient. They did everything they had to do, not taking anything away from them because it was a very strong performance on all fronts. But BC was still the better team in that game. VA, for all his mistakes, threw for 388 yards. The Lions outgained Toronto by a significant margin. If you don't have those six mistakes, this is a game that the BC Lions win, and they win fairly handily, in my opinion. But instead, we saw that old mistake-prone VA come to the surface, and what's going to be really telling is how he responds to this next week and in the weeks to come because we know in the past VA has struggled a little bit with consistency he has struggled with bouncing back from poor performances and he has struggled a little bit with maturity these is this is just facts I think he has improved on those fronts over the last year and a bit I think he is a more mature person now but this is his chance to prove it because he has to come in next week and have another efficient performance and put what is probably the worst performance of his career behind him and all those interceptions behind him in order to keep this team on the right track. JC, you are spot on with everything you went over there. And if Vernon Adams Jr. only throws three interceptions, I still think the BC Lions have a shot to win. Before I get to some other things, as you mentioned, analyzing those interceptions, multiple picks that came from the hand of Vernon Adams Jr. were thrown into very simple three-deep coverage. Like This is basic stuff that he was throwing bad footballs into. Not badly thrown balls, but bad reads. Like Balls that never should have been thrown. Balls that never should be thrown at the high school or university level, let alone from a pro who has been in the CFL for a number of years. So I'm sure... And you could see it on TV, on TSN. He went back to the sideline, looked at the tablet, and thought, why the heck did I make that decision? Because at times it does happen as a quarterback, right? You either think you can fit it in there or you don't quite see a defender drifting back or baiting you into that interception, even though they are playing the deep third of the field. So that is the major key. Can Vernon Adams Jr. bounce back from this performance and show that he's not going to be the old VA who's erratic? Or is this the same old VA. A quick note, we talked about this game being played on Monday night last week on the pod, and I erred in saying that Toronto FC was playing at home on the Tuesday. They actually played at home on the Saturday night and away on the Tuesday. So that probably was part of the reason why this game was played on Monday night and not Sunday night, because there would have had to been a little bit of field conversion and obviously cleanup for the Argos to play this game at home. I still think The CFL could have found a way to have a full slate of games, have a Monday night game, even along with a Sunday night game that week. That would have been a great way to take over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, if that's how they wanted to go overall. What I liked from the Argos is they were certainly opportunistic. And Chad Kelly, and I'm not calling him a game manager here, but has continued to show me that he can manage in-game situations very well and understand where the game is at and not force footballs 
like Vernon Adams did so many times in that game. It was a solid, if unspectacular, performance, and it was hyped up more because Jim Kelly was in the crowd. I'm more curious how Jim Kelly got there and how Chad Kelly maybe helped him get to BMO Field because that was certainly great to see. And I think something that can build respect for Chad Kelly, the Argonauts and the CFL overall, that Jim Kelly would actually come live to a CFL game is in and of itself a boost for the CFL. But the real key here for me with the Toronto Argonauts is they continue to plod along here one game at a time, not get too high on themselves, as JC alluded to with the BC Lions, or sorry, Hodge alluded to with the BC Lions. Being the number one team in the CFL is something that Winnipeg has become comfortable with. Toronto, I think, has the opportunity to become comfortable with and has shown they can be. But the Lions have to show that they're able to bounce back. A lot to be learned this upcoming week for them. I do think that we are making a little bit too much of Vernon Adams Jr.'s interception total, if only because it is such a gaudy number, right? In the modern CFL, modern pro football, four is like the benchmark for a really bad game. He threw six. That being said, two of those came very late in the game with his team down multiple scores. And if I'm a team or I'm a coach, whatever, I would much rather my quarterback be lobbing low percentage passes way downfield deep in games rather than oh, checking it on. down and accepting defeat. On, what, you want to check it down a hundred times in a row? When you're within two scores, first down and 10, within two scores, he throws an indefensible pass when a sack would have kept his team alive. That's not a late game situation where a pick is acceptable. The last one of the game, the pick six, sure. He's scrambling around. The game's basically out of reach. Maybe you take that one off his resume. But the second to last pick, that one was one of the worst, in my opinion, because the Lions still had a chance to win that football game. And it was VA's decision making in that moment that cost them it. Fair enough. The fifth one, that's probably fair. The sixth one, I suppose, is maybe a better example of what I'm talking about, where, you know, if given the choice between the seven yard check down or the 30 yard, you know, again, low percentage play, because let's remember the Lions arguably have the best receiving core in the league, right? If anybody can win those 50 50 balls, it's guys like Keon Hatcher and Dominic Grimes who are back in the lineup. And Alexander Hollins, by the way, a player who I don't think anybody had heard of going into this season or at least anticipated anything from, I think it's third league wide in receiving yards right now. So he's got the tools to do it. And I would rather go out guns blazing than shying away, but fair enough. The guns are maybe blazing a little bit too hard for Vernon Adams jr. Uh, because the, the interceptions, well, fair. I'm not, I'm not trying now, to make excuses half, for half a dozen. That's as many donuts as I eat in one sitting. That's a big number. <laughs> Fair enough. Boys, Fair enough. Interceptions by a quarterback should never really be defensible. All right. There are ones where maybe you're trying to fit it into a tight window. But if you look at it objectively, not subjectively, and you break down the film, then I don't think we should be out here defending interceptions by quarterbacks, especially you guys know this well. In a CFL game that is so fast moving that you can go down the field as long as you're picking up first downs relatively quickly. You don't have to get big chunk yardage gains as JC, I think, was alluding to when you're in a two score game and it's early in the fourth quarter. Like that's where I think the Vernon Adams Jr. decisions cannot be defensed at all. And I, I will say one more thing. It was interesting, like like we saw, for instance, in that 
Winnipeg BC game in week three. Nick Dembski had a pass, hit him square in both hands, and he kind of, I, I don't know what was happening with it, but he had kind of this weird uh, happenstance where the ball seemingly flew up into the air and then landed in the hands of linebacker Ben Halatic. And obviously, Zach Kolaris has charged an interception for a throw that was perfect, which is something that I wish we could address in the statistics because Zach Kolaris should not have been charged with an interception for something that was completely Nick Dembski's fault. The interesting thing, I suppose, in one respect, is that we didn't see any of those from Vernetis Jr. on Monday. All six interceptions well, we did. were we true saw interceptions. We did. We Daniel drop one and toss it to his teammate or bounce it. Yeah, yeah the only the – only, the, the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, a double interception on one play. <laughs> and and we should shout out Robertson Daniel for the three interceptions. Robertson Daniel's been in the league and like almost every member of the Argos was with the Calgary Stampeders originally and and moved over out east uh, a little bit later. I think in 2020 he signed with them. Uh, he battled injuries almost all of last year. So good for him to get some props there. He's been playing very well at boundary halfback. Three picks in a game, including a pick six. He almost broke the CFL record for single game interception return yards and one day about three years from now when the cfl statistics are working i'm excited <laughs> to verify that fact are we sure it was robertson daniel with with all those interceptions did they did they make a mistake there allegedly or, it was robertson Alle- daniel. allegedly robertson daniel. allegedly it was robertson daniel <laughs> the, Moving the last on. thing i'll say about va before we move on here and, and you brought up the point about 50 50 balls hodge and I think this is an offense where you can throw those 50-50 balls to guys like Dominique Grimes. What was the most surprising thing about this performance to me is VA was throwing those balls to Dominique Grimes in a position where it wasn't 50-50 for his receiver. It was advantage defense. The positioning of the throws, the placement of it was less than imperfect. It was bad on a lot of these balls. And, and Dominique Grimes, who is... I think the best receiver in the league had three catches in this game, two touchdowns. He was targeted 10 times. He only caught three of those. And a bunch of those missed targets were those interceptions because VA wasn't putting him in a position where he could come down with it. So those 50, 50 balls, you actually have to put him in a position where it's your receiver who can catch it. The Elks traded disgruntled special teamer Kevin Francis to the Red Blacks, while Kai Loxley, who was released by Edmondson after reportedly refusing to perform short yardage duties in week three, has signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Which player do you think will thrive more with their new team? What a whopper of a question. I'm sure there are fans (laughs) around the league on the edge of their seat to wonder who's going to be more successful, Kevin Francis, a guy who exclusively plays on special teams, or Kai Loxley, a bad third-string quarterback? This is a doozy of a question. Is there anyone who thinks it's Kai Loxley? I mean, he was bad at short yardage in Edmonton. I don't think he's very functional as a quarterback to begin with. Unless Hamilton's moving him back to receiver, he's not going to have much of an impact for them this year. So I'll go with Kevin Francis, who is... Not a sexy pick, but a very good special teams player. It's got to be Kevin Francis. I think the Loxley move more speaks to the quarterback situation in Hamilton right now, which might be a little more intriguing to fans out there. But Levi Mitchell still on the six-game injured list. It looks like Matthew Schiltz will start this game unless they change things around like they did the last time at the last minute to even get Bo Levi Mitchell on the six-game injured list before they went on the bye week. So 
that's what I think speaks to me more about this whole Loxley thing going to Hamilton is they felt the need to release a younger quarterback, make a roster spot for Loxley, who I know, JC, you're taking shots at him, but is athletic. And I think if he puts some focus into being a quarterback and being a really good short yardage QB, needs to realize that that can lengthen his CFL and in turn pro career. And I think the Tiger Cats want to have a guy there with more experience if indeed Matthew Schilt is going to start another or multiple football games for this team. I'll believe I Mitchell heals up from this groin injury. One thing I will say to this is after week three and the Tiger Cats run a bye in week four, but after week three and the Chris Edwards shove, which we'll talk a little bit more about later in the show, is Orlando Steinauer, the team's head coach and doesn't have the GM title, but in essence is the GM, made a comment about this is not who we are, talking about the culture of his team. We talked about the culture of the team on the show last week about some of the interesting personnel decisions that were made regarding players with interesting pasts. And Kai Loxley this past week uh, was cut because he quit on his team. Like he was asked to perform duties in game and decided not to do that. And yes, the Hamilton Tiger Cats need to add a quarterback because of the reasons you mentioned, Dunk, with you know Matthew Schultz and Kylox. He has experience doing short yardage. Well, Tyrell Pigrom, who was far better in the preseason than Kyloxley, is sitting at home right now, presumably with his feet up, waiting beside the telephone. And the Thai Cats, who again have had their character questioned and have had these issues early on in the season, had the choice between the five foot nine speedster and Kyle Oxley, who has fair, a little bit more experience doing the short yardage. But I also, if I remember correctly, from Derek Taylor and the stats that he often puts out, did not have a good short yardage conversion rate last Percent, season. Hodge. Eighty three percent. Yeah, that's, that not, that's not good at all. conversion percentage. So the Ticats... In a league where they give you a yard. <laughs> exactly. So the Ticats went with the guy who actively chose not to take the field when given the opportunity. And that, to me, is very interesting. Jeremiah Mazzoli is finally back after missing one full year with a leg injury he sustained last summer on a dirty hit from a then member of the Rough Riders who will remain unnamed on this podcast. Coincidentally, the game will also be his first return to Hamilton as a player, giving him the chance to play in front of the Steel Town faithful who cheer him on for close to a decade. What are your expectations for Mazzoli and his return? Before I get to Mazzoli real quickly, we've had at least a handful of comments, guys, if not more, about people complaining that we still talk about this unnamed former Riders player. We're stating the facts of the situation when we're talking about this absurdly dirty hit. The facts of the situation are that he put Jeremiah Masoli on the shelf for a year with a dirty hit. Okay, I don't want to see these comments anymore. That's the facts of the situation. As for Masoli, I think we can expect a solid performance with the ability for it to be really good. The key for me, and I think Jeremiah Masoli in this game, is him gaining the confidence to play on this leg again that has taken him so long to heal back from. Full credit to general manager Sean Burke, head coach Bob Dice, Kahari Jones likely played a role in this as well, the training staff in Ottawa, Jeremiah Mussolini and his family, 
for giving him the time to heal back from this and to get Masoli back on the field because this league is better with the more high caliber quarterbacks we have healthy in it. And I hope for the league's sake that Masoli can show what he showed last year before that dirty hit from the unnamed player that he can play at a high level. I think it's possible. He's played with the likes of Jalen Acklin for a long time, has a great rapport with him. There's some other receivers there that are a little bit newer to him, but Masoli has, Masoli has shown excuse me, that he can develop a rhythm and a rapport quickly with new receivers, and he's got a better offensive line, maybe the best offensive line potentially that he's ever played behind in his entire career protecting him. So I really like the prospects of Masoli coming back, but he first just needs to take that first hit, get up, and know that he has the confidence to continue to keep going. To me, I think something that's really interesting is Masoli was supposed to play or make his return to Hamilton, play in Steeltown for the first time since leaving that organization in week five last year. The injury happened in week four. Well, we are heading into week five of the 2023 season, and in an oddly apropos way, he will now get that opportunity to play and make his debut in Steeltown. And obviously there's going to be a lot of emotions that go along with that, and it's going to be compounded by the fact that he is playing his first game in a calendar year after not not even getting preseason action. I mean, he's been limited in practice so far through most of this season. He's a full participant this week, or at least was a full participant on Tuesday when head coach Bob Dice announced him as the starter. So this is going to be an extremely emotional event, I would imagine, for Jeremiah Masoli. And I'm very interested to see how he responds to that. He is not a spring chicken. He's 34 years old. He's been a pro for a decade at this point, just over. And to me, this is going to show us a lot about the character of Jeremiah Masoli. And a lot of people who have played with Jeremiah Masoli rave about him as a leader, as as a guy who does the right thing. And so I have high hopes for what that is going to be. But I also think it's important to recognize that there's going to be some rust here and we have to maybe temper our expectations a little bit. Now, does Jeremiah Masoli still give the Red Blacks their best chance to win? Absolutely. Right. Nick, Nick Arbuckle was miserable. Tyree Adams was fine. I think Jeremiah Masoli is going to be a step up for both of those guys. I just don't think it's reasonable to expect him to go from gear one to gear five immediately. There might be a bit of a ramping up process. And you mentioned it, Dunk, the first time he takes a hit to that leg is going to feel bizarre, right? He has not had a hit to that leg in a very long time. So I'm interested to see how he responds to that and how he responds to everything that's coming along with week five because there's a lot for him to process here. Yeah, I I just hope that Jeremiah Mazzoli gives himself some grace and doesn't push too hard in this game because that is the situation where it can turn from a dream scenario coming back from the injury a year later against your old team into a nightmare is if he comes out feeling like he has something to prove, pushes a little bit too hard and and starts making bad decisions. The Red Blacks do not need him to be peak Jeremiah Mazzoli to win this football game. We saw them win last week with Tyree Adams managing the game effectively, making smart decisions, not turning the football over. If Jeremiah Mazzoli can come out for a few weeks, get his feet wet, and play like that, the Ottawa Red Blacks have the potential to be a very competitive team in the East Division. 
The only thing that will stop that from happening is if Mazzoli himself feels the need to to prove the doubters wrong or do something like that and and makes poor decisions with the football. Go back to basics. Get yourself back to a, a position where you're comfortable again, and then the success will blossom from there. That's my word of advice to Mazzoli going into this one. Moving on to our picks for week five. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are seven and a half point favorites at home against the Elks on Thursday. These two teams met in week one when the Riders won 17 to 13 on the strength of a late game goal line stand. Who do you have in this one as Edmonton tries to avoid falling to 0 and 5? Yikes. I've got the Elks against the spread, the Riders straight up. I don't love taking Edmonton. Because I did it a week ago and looked like a complete idiot in the nation's capital. Thank you, Jared. Don't teach me how to daggy anymore, okay? Stick with Taylor Cornelius. Let him ride this out a little bit. He's the guy you paid all that money to in the offseason, or sorry, at the end of last season, Chris Jones. I'll tell, take the Elks and the points, but fellas, I am not liking it all that much. It just seems like the smart play. To me, I think the best buy here is honestly the under. Both teams have a bunch of injuries along the offensive line. Josiah St. John is out. The Elks will be starting rookie Philip Grohovac at left guard. For the Riders, Brandon Council is in at left tackle again after Gerald Hawkins underwent what is likely season-ending surgery. I like the Elks in this one against the spread because I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be close. But as always, the Elks should probably lose this game. So I'll take the Riders straight up. (laughs) Yeah, all those... All those injuries in Saskatchewan certainly scare me, and this is a big line. But this is the Edmonton Elks we're talking about, guys. Every time they've been given an opportunity to lose, they do not disappoint in that matter. This <laughs> offensive line is horrid. It does not matter who is under center. Take Saskatchewan and take those points. The Blue Bombers are eight-point favorites against the Stampeders on Friday where the clubs will meet at IG Field. Mark and Michelle is expected to suit up for the Stamps while Reggie Begleton also appears to be making his return to Calgary's receiving core. Can Winnipeg cover another big spread? Hodge, you got your fork and knife and napkin out? No, I don't. I am taking the points here. I'm not willing to eat that big spread. I still think Winnipeg is going to win this game. But the Stampeders have historically been good coming off of bye weeks. They've got two big pieces in their receiving core that was very depleted before the bye. And these two teams played three times. Granted, the Bombers swept them last year, but they were all very close games. To me, these are two teams that play each other tight. I like Calgary's coaching staff, so I am picking Winnipeg straight up. But I am taking Calgary. To me, this spread is too fat. This spread should be something more like Calgary plus five. Anything over that, I'm absolutely on the Stampeders as far as the spread goes. Judge and I are of one mind. This is too big a line for me to feel comfortable taking the Bombers to cover. I am not a fan of the current Calgary Stampeders. I don't think Jake Mayer has what it takes to be an elite winning quarterback in the league right now, but he's going to have a few more weapons back. And traditionally, these two teams have had some exciting duels going back to last season. I think the Stampeders cover and the Bombers win. 
Ryan Valentine, our Calgary contributor, would say something, something, Dave Dickinson off a of bye week, something, something. And I think there's a little something, something to it. So I'm going to side with you guys to make it a clean sweep. Stampeders plus the points, but Winnipeg gets it done at home. And even though Mark and Michelle's back, he doesn't have a rapport with Jake Mayer. He was used to catching passes from Bo Levi Mitchell. So that's going to take some time. It's great that Reggie Begleton's back in the lineup, but I do foresee, like you guys, a close game. Take the points with the peg. The Tiger Cats are short favorites over the Red Blacks on Saturday, where Hamilton will look to get their first win of the season. Jeremiah Mazzoli is making his much-anticipated return for Ottawa in what will surely be an emotional game against his former club. Who you like in this one? I like the Red Blacks, and I think the line is sort of telling you the fact that Ottawa should maybe be a little heavier favorites or at least short favorites in this game. Jeremiah Masoli coming back, I think from a leadership standpoint, is going to infuse a bunch of energy into this team. And even if he plays solid football, the Red Blacks can win this game. So I like Ottawa going into Hamilton, who has all kinds of issues, discipline just one of them with Orlando Steinauer's group. To me, this is a joke that the Ticats are getting points in this one. Minus two as of this recording. I'm expecting, especially with the news of Jeremiah Masoli being back, this line is going to move consistently from when we are recording this. If you can get the uh, the Red Blacks plus anything, I would take that. And in fact, I would also take them on the money line. I don't think that the Red Blacks should be massive favorites here for the reasons we mentioned earlier in the show. Jeremiah Masoli's first game in a year. All of that, but the Red Blacks are definitely the buy here, at least in my opinion. Is Vegas looking at a different Hamilton Tiger Cats team than we are? Because this does not make any sense to me that they be favored against anybody except maybe the Edmonton Elks, of course. Ottawa is the pick here, and they're the pick, even if this line were to shift where they're plus or minus five favorites i think they are the better team here jeremiah mazzoli just makes them better hamilton has some serious things that they need to figure out right now the bc lions are seven and a half point favorites against the montreal alouettes on sunday at bc play stadium both teams are coming off one-sided losses that saw their previously perfect records marred by a loss Cody Fajardo threw a back-breaking interception in the red zone for the Owls, while Vernon Adams Jr. threw six picks in his team's loss to the Argos. What team bounces back this week and why? It's the Lions, and and let's be frank about this. The Montreal Alouettes going into their game last week against Winnipeg, it was all the questions were about whether that 2-0 record was for real because of the opponents they had faced up until that point. Well, it turns out, it wasn't for real. They got their butts kicked against a team that BC manhandled the week previous. Now, Winnipeg is a very good football team. Don't get me wrong, but I think the Lions are just as good. And I just don't see the Montreal Alouettes matching up well against them. VA is going to protect the football for a change. And the Lions are going to cruise to victory. I'm eating all the points this week. JC, you didn't learn a lesson after last week, did you? When I told you that it was a prime spot for a letdown for the Lions and they lost on the road in Toronto. I don't care if you want to wipe away the six picks from big play VA, who was actually a big play for the Argos defense. So I actually like the Montreal Alouettes in this game because I think they played the Winnipeg Blue Bombers somewhat closely 
The defense kept them in that game. And if Cody Fajardo could have just found some way, any form or fashion to get his offense into the end zone, that game could have been really intriguing. So I like what the Alouettes have going on. I can't even believe I'm saying that, fellas, but I'll take the points, even though it's Montreal going all the way out to the West Coast and the Lions are in a prime bounce back spot. But I like the points because I don't think BC should be that heavy of a favorite over an underrated Owls team. The Alouettes have not won in Vancouver since 2015. And that type of trip is hard to make at the best of times against a highly motivated BC Lions, I think is darn near impossible to go in there and get a win. So I am picking the Lions to cover this wide spread. I do think the Alouettes are better than we gave them credit for maybe this past week, but I don't think they're as good as their 2-0 start. I'm taking the Lions to win this one in a one-sided affair. It's now time for Hodges' heritage moment. On this day in 1986, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defeated the Saskatchewan Rough Riders by a score of 56 to nothing. It remains the largest shutout margin in CFL history, though the Riders would exact their revenge eight weeks later with a 34-30 victory in the Labor Day Classic. Boys, have you ever been involved in a game that ended in a 56-point shutout? I've been don't involved. take me back to my high school days. <laughs> don't. I'm getting flashbacks. The... The trauma is still there. I, I don't want to remember any of those times. That's where I was going. I've been involved in it on the plus side in a game oh, against Lourdes High School. We could have put up 100, boys, but we called off the horses. Never lost a high school game in our conference the entire time that I was a starting quarterback. Shout out, John F. Ross Royals. Baby! They gave us a running clock starting in the second quarter after they went up 40 to nothing. That was probably a bad sign. <laughs> Ultimate mercy rule. Yikes, buddy. <laughs> there were some lean you, years, dude? boys. I, I mean, I, I retired at 13, but yes, I was involved in some absolute beatdowns. More on the negative side than the positive side. Actually, I think I've mentioned this once maybe a long time ago on the show, but I was the same age growing up, or at least very close in age, to Jordan Reeves. Uh, or pardon me, to, yeah, to Jordan Reeves. My brother played against Ryan Reeves because he was older. And uh, when we played the Crestonwood Grizzlies and uh, Jordan would be out there doing his thing, running for eight, nine touchdowns while his dad was showing off his great cup rings to the to the other parents. Yeah, those games got out of hand pretty quickly. That's that's probably part of the reason I retired so young. But hey, <laughs> three minute drill, fellas. The Edmonton Elks added Eugene Lewis to the six game injured list with a knee problem. How big of a loss is that? You know, no disrespect to Geno Lewis, but I feel like right now it's not because Maurice French, who replaced him in that receiving core, was very good last week. And receiver is the last of Edmonton's problems. So I honestly don't think it's that big of a deal for the Elks. The CFL fined Tiger Cats strong side linebacker Chris Edwards the maximum amount for his postgame fake handshake and shove on Austin Mack. Is that enough of a punishment? From the league level, I believe it is. I was never the type of person who thought this should be a league suspension. However, if you're the Hamilton Tiger Cats and head coach Orlando Steinauer, how do you not impose additional punishment within the organization? If I was the coach, I would be benching Edwards for at least a game. It is shocking to me that that hasn't happened yet. Football Canada welcomed three new members to their board of directors, including Sportsnet reporter Arash Madani. Is he a fit for that job? 
He is. Arash Mandani is a passionate supporter of Canadian football and any kind of football, really, that's played in terms of players coming out of our country, whether that's flag or tackle or touch or the women's leagues or anything like that. So I think it's a great addition to this board. The Blue Bombers signed Canadian DB Kerfala Exume after he was released by his hometown Alouettes. Is that a smart addition for the club? It is. Kerfala had 25 special teams tackles as a rookie with the team in 2019. The Bombers are a little banged up on their special teams cover units. To me, this is a good signing. And by the way, the the Alice have now cut two Montreal Carabans in the last couple of weeks. Maybe Danny Machocha is 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 i mean he's, he's busted all our narratives at least he's not just scooping up his former players there you go the red blacks released receiver Quan bray after learning that he'd been charged with sexual assault was that necessary i believe it was obviously these charges have not been proven in court yet but it appears that bray deceived this ottawa team he did not disclose that there was an ongoing uh, court process there was a, an arrest warrant issued and later canceled because he did not show up to a scheduled court date. Eventually, his lawyer did come in his stead, but the Red Blacks didn't seem to know anything about this, and that is a violation of the trust, if nothing else, within a team. They had to move on. This past week's game between Winnipeg and Montreal drew the largest television audience of the season. Is that impressive? It really is. 735,000 average English and French language viewers watched this Bombers game against the Alouettes on a Saturday night. It was a little over 5,000 on TSN and a little bit over 200,000 on RDS. So overall, a great number and positive trend for the league considering that it was a week without the Rough Riders playing and they still were able to have what I should say in CFL terms is a massive number with the green and white not involved. The Calgary Stampeders signed Mark and Michelle following a four-year stint in the NFL. Do you think he can make a strong impact in that receiving group? Well, I mean, I think the lack of depth around him is going to help him be an early focal point. But that being said, we've seen many receivers come back from the NFL and struggle to adjust back to the Canadian game in a hurry. So I think Mark and Michelle's a good receiver. He might just need a little bit of time to get that adjustment made. The Elks signed Canadian offensive lineman Brett Boyko, who sat out last season following stints in BC and Saskatchewan. Is he a strong addition for the club? Well, I've never been much of a Brett Boyko fan, but I thought he was much better in Saskatchewan than he was during his time in BC. It's a bit of a gamble to stick someone in after a year off, but Edmonton doesn't have any other options. And this slight injury to Josiah St. John might actually help this team because Chris Jones still keeps insisting that that pick wasn't a bust and is sticking him out at right tackle. Boyko might actually be an upgrade, if only slightly. Former Ticats head coach June Jones was arrested for an alleged DUI in Hawaii. Do you think there's any chance we see him back in the CFL someday? It's time for June Jones to say aloha to coaching and the CFL and just go and enjoy his time in Hawaii without allegedly driving under the influence. With all due respect, Wait. I think he had his time in Hamilton and now he should just enjoy the fruits of his long coaching career. Do you mean aloha hello or aloha goodbye? You got you to specify oh, here. Aloha goodbye. Sorry for the uninitiated. <laughs> <laughs> 
It means both. The family of late CFL fullback, the family of late CFL fullback Duran Diedrich has set up a GoFundMe in his name with the goal of establishing a foundation for low-income youth. Is that a worthy cause? Absolutely. It was, and I I never interacted with Duran Diedrich personally, but the outpouring from his passing last week was overwhelming, and this does seem like a fantastic initiative. So if you are interested in supporting it, there's a link to it on our website. Just find it, the article there, GoFundMe, Deron Diedrich. You can support it there. Finally, the Ottawa Red Blacks, as we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, announced that Tyree Adams will miss the rest of the season with a torn ACL. Is that a big loss for the club? It's not so long as Jeremiah Mazzoli can stay healthy. If Mazzoli goes down, then it becomes a massive loss because, as we all know, Nick Arbuckle struggled mightily in his two starts, and Dustin Crum is a raw rookie. Tyree Adams looked very good in his one performance. It's disappointing for such a young player to suffer a serious injury like this. Hopefully for the organization, they can maintain their starting quarterback's health going forward. Hopefully for Tyree Adams and all the skinny quarterbacks out there, he can bounce back and show that you can still be skinny and be good and have longevity in pro football. That does it for this episode. Fat quarterbacks. (laughs) (laughs) We're only talking about skinny ones right now, Tyree Adams. (laughs) You want to bring back Jared Lorenzen, RIP? I'm sure those guys could (laughs) sling it as well. Weren't we talking about Dayton Black multiple times on this podcast being a record-setting Winnipeg high school quarterback? So. I don't care what shape and size you are. I just feel like there's been a lot of hate directed towards skinny quarterbacks. And I'm looking at both you two guys because you're directing it at those guys thinking that we can't stay healthy. It's bogus. Dayton Black would be a better short yardage quarterback for the Hamilton Tiger Cats than Kai Loxley. I will die on that hill. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, actually, I I know that's a joke, but it's not not a terrible idea. Actually, it really (laughs) isn't. We thank you as always for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.